excuse me. Should I tell a, should I tell a funny joke and try to try to lead <laughs> us into this episode, or should I just you know launch what? Yeah, into you, an intro? Yeah, we need to do the cold open. Can you can you give me a true on, please? Uh, <laughs> so I was sitting in my uh, in my lounge chair, which is a replica of the chair uh, Bill Clinton is sitting in in the painting <laughs> Epstein had, of course. And, I, thought, uh, I thought you were just gonna, I thought you were just going for like. It's a replica of a chair Bill Clinton is sitting in as if you have like surveillance of him at any given moment. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's a replica of that specific chair at this time. No, it's, yeah. it's worse. It's worse. I All right, po- but anyway, go ahead. I posed as Bill Clinton and got a home security company to install <laughs> cameras in his house. And, but right. I have all the login information. <laughs> so I just, yeah, just like. I'm hyper fixated on him. I watch him all the time and mirror everything he does. And let me tell you, I was not cut out for this light. Now, (laughs) really, really managed to pull off a really great, big, dumb, racist guy. (laughs) Yeah, he gets up to some terrible shit. No, all right, I'm I'm out of bits. I don't have all. I I did the other podcast already where I let all my bits loose. So I'm I'm witless and bitless right now. Welcome to Work Stoppage, everybody. A more serious show where we talk about what's going on in labor. Well, I mean, you know, we could do what I'm sure every one of our listeners wants us to do and spend 15 minutes pointlessly arguing about AOC's dress that oh, no yeah. other oh podcast I'm sure will be doing this week. God damn it. <laughs> Were you listening to me recording Beep Beep Lettuce earlier today? Because that's <laughs> I did that. I, <laughs> I mean, but to be fair, I, I, I was talking about like uh, why it generated such a high level of engagement more than I was directly talking about the thing. That's my galaxy brain way of justifying. I got called a racist for saying that she was pro capitalist. What? (laughs) What? What? (laughs) I don't. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like it. That sounds like the internet to me. Yeah. Um, No, it's true. But speaking of the internet, we are entirely listener supported. So thank you to anybody who is a Patreon subscriber. Uh, if you're not already in the Discord, you can't see the memes from the meme review. So get in there. We do also talk about the show and about other things happening in labor. So that's cool. Give us a five star yeah. review on Apple Podcasts and remember to follow us on Twitter. Um, yeah, you don't have to be a patron to get in the Discord. We we accept all proletarian people into the into the Discord. That's yeah, right. but you can't be a member of the ruling class. You can't have gone to the Met Gala. All right, enough jokes about that. Uh, <laughs> if you have hiring and firing power, <laughs> if, yeah. if you have recently hired uh, the the nation's largest union busting law firm, Littler Mendelssohn, you are not welcome to join our yeah. Discord. If, yeah. Oh my God. You know, I, the, the way to lead right into this first story <laughs> where we talk about the Starbucks union busting campaign. Uh, like the first thing I saw on there was Starbucks has hired Littler Mendelssohn. And mm-hmm. if you are a long time listener, maybe even a shorter time listener, you might've heard me say, I know those motherfuckers. <laughs> I've been in their goddamn building. Those people are pieces of shit. I sat across the table from them and they said, Hey, can I put a uh, fucking right to work in your contract? Yeah. That's the kind of fucking people we're dealing with here. 
Yeah. yeah and this so, is all on the heels of Starbucks Workers United uh, in Buffalo, New York, who have been uh, launching a unionization drive. And anybody who's familiar with Starbucks knows that for a long time they avoided coming out and saying how explicitly anti-union they were. But if you ever worked for them or you understand how their business is structured, you can tell that they kind of have like a weird uh, Nordic model attitude where they're like, well, we provide you as our partners so many resources anyway. Why would you possibly need a union? And then as soon as they have like one store try to unionize, they're like, Littler Mendelssohn. Look at all these get problems. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, also they, they did find problems to fix that they had been neglecting for months, if not probably years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like because we covered a couple episodes like the, the launching of this campaign by Starbucks Workers United. And since then, we've seen kind of the two pronged approach the Starbucks has taken on this, basically the carrot and the stick at the same time, where there was immediately this charm offensive from Starbucks management. Like they even, they, they mentioned, there's a quote in here from one of the unionizing stores, uh, Casey Moore, a barista there said, quote, upper management has come to every store in the district. We're doing card signing on the floor because that's our public space, but management is making people really nervous to talk about it. They're coming and talking to people on our breaks. They came to my store on Sunday and cornered a worker and like they've had the regional vice president sending out like this memo to every employee in the region saying that your voice matters is the, is the, is the title of that. And, and the reason that I would point out the title is that the folks at Starbucks workers United have specifically been forwarding in their materials around like organizing their union that what they're specifically pushing for is more of a say to have more of a voice in the workplace. And so they, they pointed one out in here, one of the, the, the same person, Casey Moore, who, who said that our messaging has been that we are organizing a union because we want a voice in the workplace. And they took this language and sent out a weekly response from the regional vice president saying your voice matters already. They took our language and used it. And so like the, the lev that level of capture is kind of interesting to see, like just so quickly in response to these efforts. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, it's like the open door policy. Yeah. I mean, Starbucks are masters of that kind of like language. If you read their um, company material that they give to baristas and shift supervisors, it's like some of the most heavily spun and stylized language possible and that's really i think a big part of the way that they've been trying to keep ahead of the labor movement as they perceive it is just by always like really dressing up their offerings and garnering what i think is up until recently a very widely accepted idea that like you know starbucks is actually one of the better like fast food right. adjacent employers that you could work for right uh and that was very successful for them uh probably up until the pandemic i imagine yeah and and they've even had, you know, upper level management coming out and like working at some of these stores. Basically, they, they, they've said that executives from all over the country, as well as regional managers, have been coming to every one of the stores that has been talking about unionizing, pulling aside workers for one on one discussions, helping people make drinks. Do, taking out the trash and they, they they had another quote in here they're rolling up expensive suits to wash dishes and do trash runs it's almost comical <laughs> said said one of oh the other oh my gosh 
yeah, during the university campaign that I went through, they brought the freaking vice president in for a meeting with all like, oh, we just want to hear what the problems are. You know what? All of the pro union people did. They didn't show up to that fucking meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a yeah. good way to go. Yeah, like even they said the the president of Starbucks North America, Roseanne Williams, has been spending time at some of these stores like trying to convince people not to join the union, handing out gift cards to customers. And, and, <laughs> and like this has led, though, because they mentioned Motherboard, which is like part of Vice, had gone and interviewed some of these folks and have got had a, a lot of people at three different stores where this management like visits have been happening that who have said that that's basically made them feel even more surveilled and like that they're the the efforts to impact and influence their decision has been so obvious and so blatant that it's to the point of like well wait if they're doing all this shit Maybe I should think about joining the union. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just got a random message from someone because I was doing some agitprop in my in a local group. And they're like, I got a message from someone saying, yeah, there's actually this local organization of businesses that has secretly agreed to fix wages. Oh, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, huh. You know, I mean, if the fact that you have to, like, get that kind of information privately is one thing. But you just like, you know, you can just assume they're doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like, it's also like kind of insulting. They bring the president of Starbucks North America down and she's in the parking lot handing out $10 gift cards. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the community organizing they do. There's, that's a, there's a huge level of like condescension there. And I don't, I'm sure it's not lost on the people who are, are working at this um, Starbucks. And also like, if you've worked at Starbucks before, you know that like even just having your regional manager visit the store is like a big deal. Oh, and doesn't happen and that sucks. often. Yeah, and it's terrible. And, like, you're basically on, like, extra, like, lockdown in terms of, like, what you can say and do and how, like, much you have to adhere to everything. And management knows that, of course. And they know that they're present. Like, even if they weren't cornering workers for one-on-one -on -one meetings, which they're also doing, their presence directly impedes any kind of union organizing activity just by virtue of them being there. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, like, you, they're, they're, they are a power play. Like, especially, like, that is part of the hegemonic control of that the, that these business, businesses have is they, they have literal power over your livelihood. And then they stand there and say, now work. Now work. Right. So they've also been doing paid listening sessions, which is basically like a, a extended captive version audience. of captive, captive audience meetings that are kind of posed as like probably voluntary and like, oh, well, you're getting paid to be here. So it's worth your time. Right. And they're basically dangling money in front of you, which, um, of course, a lot of the employee they're working because they need money. Right. And then they're right. also doing captive audience meetings. And then they're also trotting they're also doing one-on-one -on -one meetings and they're trotting out the old uh we don't want uh, a third party to be <laughs> yeah. coming between us and our baristas because we really feel oh, like yeah. we can answer their uh, concerns much more quickly and flexibly if we do it in a one-on-one -on -one fashion pretty sure the twitter account that that is for the starbucks workers united came out with a response to this which is we are the fucking union right yeah no, yeah their their twitter has been fucking great i i highly recommend following uh at sb workers united uh they are pretty great but so in addition to that like to all this other stuff they've been doing they've been uh trying to you know 
very quickly, like like was you you referenced earlier, trying to address issues at these stores that had been problems forever and had been continuously ignored until suddenly, now during a union drive, like they mention examples in here, they replaced an oven that had been broken for a long mm-hmm. time, fixed carpets at places that were fucked up, and even in one case sent an exterminator to get rid of bees that had been stinging employees for months. I just want to point out that they probably weren't bees. They were probably wasps. As a lover of bees, <laughs> yeah. the, the bees probably were not the ones stinging these workers. But anyway, <laughs> defense of the, the bees aside, like they literally let this wasp nest sting employees for months. And now suddenly it's a priority now that the workers have shown any level of collective action. Now, maybe that should give you a little indication of what collective action does. Is it gets shit done. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine if you didn't stop doing that collective action despite the fact that the company said, "Hey, please don't." Yeah, because if they <laughs> or did maybe give not up- even nice. They were they're not that nice. I shouldn't give them that much credit. They don't say please don't. They say don't or else. Well, right. yeah, but I mean like that's the thing. If they if they gave up the unionization drive right now, like those things would be fixed, but then like all of the th- like the same conditions that led to those things happening would just lead to those same types of things happening over and over again. And that's why it's really important to be militant when you're in a union situation, especially when a company is pulling out all the stops, like trying to convince the NLRB to include all 20 Buffalo area stores in one bargaining unit so that they could basically include a lot of employees who weren't already primed to be as enthusiastic about the union and try and swing the election. Yeah, as if like there was actually that sort of level of collectiveness between all of those stores to say that like all of those people are of like one shop because, you know, uh, one thing that I learned when working at Starbucks and I've mentioned it before is the only time that you actually even contact other stores is when you're sick and then you're being forced to call 20, 30, 40 different stores Mm -hmm. to get someone to cover your shift so that everyone can say no and then your boss can write you up. Yeah, Um, and so this like is very similar to the tactic used by Amazon where they enlarged the bargaining unit size at, at Bessemer in order to try and counteract the union drive that way. And although in this case, the, one of the interesting things reading this article, they did seem like star based on legal precedent that Starbucks would actually be relatively unlikely to win this in an, in a legal ruling, but because just because of the fact that they're pushing for it will delay any of the elections by weeks and weeks and putting in, you know, months and months, all of which gives Starbucks more time to try and do all this shit to break the union. And you, so, so they had a, a quote in here from one of the uh, organizers who's working with Starbucks United uh, Workers United, who said, "quote It'd be very hard for them to win the unit they're asking for, but litigating the issue could delay the election for several weeks, during which time they can continue swarming the stores and pulling workers into mandatory meetings." And so, like that, I think is a really good illustration of the the. That's like already showing you like the bad faith. Like if you already didn't understand like how Starbucks has no intention of, of organizing in good faith, the fact that like they're pushing for this bargaining unit size when there's legal precedence against it, uh-huh. knowing they would likely lose in a ruling, but doing it just for the value of it as a stalling tactic. Like 
honestly, like in my opinion, that alone should be like evidence of bad faith bargaining. But of course, it, it it's not legally ruled that way, right? Yeah, I mean, because the, well, the whole thing is that um, with you, quote unquote union avoidance, you basically just like run through every technicality in the book and see if one of them sticks, right? Like that's right. the whole kind of like legal tactic that's been used for like a hundred years or whatever. Yeah. I mean, multiple different cases, any, anything where, you know, it's the ruling class versus anyone else, you know, all they do is try to tie you up in the courts and, and obviously being that the United States is just full of right wing courts, we actually don't have any, uh, left wing courts at all in this country. Uh, it's just, you know, they're, they're appealing to their, to their, their friends and their, the people who are on their side. Right. Well, I mean, speaking of the uh, relentlessly right wing nature of the administrative arms of the government here in the United States, California is has passed a bill that is aimed at reining in Amazon's harshest labor practices, but not before seeing some uh, revisions to it that did happen to take out some of its teeth. Yeah. So this is overall, assuming it gets signed by recently uh, not recalled governor. (laughs) Uh, Gavin Newsom, assuming he <laughs> signs this bill, which was passed by both parts of California's legislature, this should actually, we'll see how it actually plays out in the real world, but this should be at least a slightly good thing right. for Amazon workers, which is of course why, you know, I would expect Amazon and several other major companies to pull out all the stops in trying to, in addition to the lobbying they've already done to weaken the bill as we'll get into, also try and use the legal system of incredibly reactionary courts that Lena was talking about to try and we- like whittle it down even more because so right, well, what they're, this- they're probably trying to directly petition Newsom right now, just not oh, to sign it sure. in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so what this bill specifically is attempting to address is the conflict between large companies like Amazon that use quotas and algorithmically generated work rates to the, the contradiction between that and then existing safety and workplace regulations. Basically this is going after two of the main things that we've talked about with working at Amazon. One, the fact that Amazon has the highest injury rates in the uh, logistics warehouse work industry often two to three times the average and in addition the way that their quotas and the monitoring of their time prevents workers from being able to take even just bathroom breaks you know you have you get this shit about like amazon trying to say that people peeing in bottles is a meme but it's a meme because it happens to so many fucking people yeah well it's it's like kind of a a, a comical if if not horrifying that they these state mandated breaks are already legally required by the state of California but now that the uh companies such as Amazon have been quietly using a quota like system read quotas right. to enforce their <laughs> employees not taking those mandated breaks anyway now they have to pass another piece of legislation to enforce Right. That violation against Amazon instead of just enforcing it based on yep. the already active legislation, which is honestly fucking mind bending to me. Yeah, yeah, because that's the th- that's that's the interesting thing about this bill you you you've hit on right there is that this doesn't really 
create any new worker protections. It's just a new way of trying to enforce existing ones. Right. Because like, like you were alluding to basically with these quotas, with this work pace regulation system that Amazon does using its, you know, various tech arms, they just are like, well, it's our, we, we program our quotas to follow all the safety stuff. But you know, we, they, they just use that as like a way to deflect blame from the fact Mm -hmm. that, this shit is all written because it's like there's the something we talked about on the show over and over again that the, there's this perception put out by the business like press that these companies are all have all gotten so big because of innovation, except that that innovation is just labor intensification. It's the same way every other fucking company gets rich because um, mm-hmm. they like they, they had a quote in here from this one of the studies that that talked about the injury rates in there was is a quote from a worker in a study underwritten by the Los Angeles County Federation of Labor. It says there was a lot of managers uh, working at Amazon and that there was a, and managers would come to these, these grandmothers, these grandparents that are working there, they quote, come to these older women and say, Hey, I need you to speed up. And then you could see in her face. She almost wants to cry. She's like, this is the fastest my body can literally go. End well, because, of course, when you have uh, an algorithmically defined quota slash uh, projected goal slash whatever Amazon wants to call it, it's not calibrated to, like, any given worker's actual physical ability mm-hmm. to produce or to throughput that me- that much work. It's based on, like, some kind of median average that essentially amounts to, like, a 22-year-old college student working there for the summer. And uh, it's probably taxing even on those 22-year-old college students. Well, and the thing that I wanted to bring up here is actually just a reference, again, as I've been doing a lot lately to our Nature of the State episodes, uh, in my critique of, of tailorization and, and the reason why class character of organization matters, uh, because what this is, is this is kind of imagining a really efficient way to organize a business. I mean, these algorithms are, you know, they're... I mean, they're, they're, these are top-down structures created by the ruling class. Now, if these were structures created by the working class and the people who are actually affected by these conditions, I think maybe we would see a little bit more effective and and real-to-life possibility of this sort of um, organizing or, or this sort of like – I don't know way of way of tailorizing the 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 business, but instead what we're seeing is we're seeing these ruling class goons come in and say, "Oh, well, this is the average. This is what's possible. Everybody do this." Yeah, right. And, well, I mean, and I just wanted to go back to that critique because I felt like it it needed a little bit more explanation. I mean, Amazon really does bring to the the forefront of political thinking that like. Okay, yes, if you want to have something that's effective and is going to like function in the global economy the way that like something like Amazon does, you have to have specialized wings. You have to have coordinated control. You have to have like a bunch of different specialities working in tandem with one another. But like it's the question of management as a structure of power versus management as like a technical responsibility and a technical project where you're trying to get everything running as smoothly as possible. And that's one of the big reasons that like unions are really important because when you give workers that kind of like workplace democracy, workplace control, workplace ownership, eventually they have a direct investment and the direct 
skilled knowledge from doing their job to know what's going to be the most effective distribution of labor or skills or materials or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, I wanted to just get that little tangent out of the way. But I mean, continuing with the, uh, with the like perverse technocracy under capitalism, you have the bill's author, Miss Gonzalez here saying, we know that the future of work is falling into this algorithm AI kind of aspect. If we don't intervene now, other companies will be the next stage. And that's absolutely true. Like if we don't stop Amazon and set a precedent for workers rights with them, Pretty soon, basically every company that's relevant is either going to be working for Amazon or running in a style very, very similar to the way Amazon operates. Yeah, and like this also, like Amazon's the big name here because they're like the second biggest company in the country. But this already applies to every gig company too. So uh, the the difference there being that they've got all their Prop 22, although, you know all the questions with its constitutionality thrown in there now, but they've got that shield of liability via the independent contractor bullshit. But, but to your point about the way that these tailorized management systems see people, like you can see that at the core of that is treating people as disposable resources. Right. And you see that is especially in this story, because obviously all the testimony on this bill had a lot of it was talking about working conditions at Amazon facilities. And in response to the idea that it's, it was necessary to put in new regulation measures just to make sure that folks got their mandated breaks during one of the meetings, an Amazon official raised concerns that some employees would abuse more generous allotments of time for using bathroom breaks. <laughs> so we need to put slanted toilets in this motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Le- leaning <laughs> leaning like, toilets. That's the level, that's how these people think of workers. So like that's where like that's where we should be assuming management is coming from pretty much at all times, especially anybody in any sort of corporate upper level management. It's, it's just seeing these people as a completely usable, like temporary resource that show up as like a tick on a board and then go away. And, you know, so, but as you were alluding to at the, when we started the article, John, like, so this bill did pass, which is great, Mm -hmm. but there were some changes to its original, uh, language, when it went through the state Senate, it w- it ended up getting this extra amendment where originally the bill as written directed the state's OSHA and, you know, we know how effective OSHA boards can be, but still mm-hmm. directed them to specifically develop a new rule to prevent injuries caused by overwork, which I mean, that potentially with good regulators, which of course we can't assume, but you could hope for that good regulators in that board could actually take a look at not only existing labor protections, but specifically look at the new working conditions seen through this sort of algorithmic speed up and recommend specific new changes. The amendment strips that out and instead gives the state labor commission more data about quotas and injuries in order to step up enforcement of existing, um, regulations. However, the thing that I think is the most important thing that still remains in the bill is that it does give workers the ability to sue employers for especially harsh quotas. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't looked at the exact specific language, but that, 
to me, especially in the case of unions and unions attempting to work in, in any of these places and go after Amazon and, and any of these big algorithmically run companies, that gives those people uh, some sort of legal arm to go after Amazon for these and, and other, you know, major companies for these sorts of abuses. So it, obviously, you know, the bill could have been better and you're never going to get the right one, which is just, you know, because nationalize you know, Amazon, obviously. But, right. like, <laughs> but I do still think there's some good stuff that's yeah. going to come out of this. That's my that's my yeah. new legislative proposal. Uh, we're going to nationalize Amazon uh, and uh, FedEx. And it's called the, the Tan New Deal. Right, because <laughs> the box trucks and uniforms are. Right. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, and we can stay on the Amazon topic for a little bit because the next thing we're going to cover is the really great and progressive policies of Amazon, <laughs> the company to give full no free college free partially. I don't know. This is yeah. they're willing to yeah. give you if you're a full time employee, Amazon, just like uh, many other companies such as McDonald's and Disney is willing to give you a little more than five thousand dollars to go to school. And uh, which is the total cost of going to school. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So if you want to get a degree from Arizona State University online, uh, they'll cover a quarter of your tuition. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, apologies for inundating everybody with stories about Amazon, but there was so much news about Amazon this week that I figured we'd get a roundup in here of some of the most egregious shit that our, our great um, cir circulation overlords ha have been doing this yeah. week. And the free college story was the one that I saw blasted around so many places where they're trying to, like, because I think Starbucks is the perfect comparison because I feel like they were the first or one of the first companies to try this gimmick. Uh-huh. Yeah, they definitely did. And honestly, the the ways that you had to like comply with the system is you had to be like nearly like a full-time like uh with the same thing we've gone over it. I honestly didn't, didn't look into it because um I assumed that I either didn't qualify or wouldn't have time for it considering I was being uh worked uh, basically full-time hours in a understaffed, uh, incredibly disgusting building for uh, $12 an hour as uh, as a shift supervisor. Uh, but but uh, but beyond that, I, I think that like I do want to partially like reference the previous things like sure this the bill that we just covered is going to give some benefit. And I mean, if if for some reason, like someone takes up this and gets their five thousand dollars a year off of their tuition and like they, that, that's technically better than nothing. But I think that we can almost draw a comparison between these two things, between the, the passing of that bill and this this five thousand dollars to go to college because that's they're basically really similar outcomes is they are they are a tiny little notch up in the work conditions that are wholly insufficient to actually meeting people's needs yeah well i mean uh, even in the way that they rolled out the program which is the same as mcdonald's and disney you can see that they're giving you what literally the maximum amount that they can give you before they they become taxed under a federal program called Section 127. So they're basically saying, hey, this is literally the least I can do. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because beyond a certain amount of money, uh, benefits of any kind can of that sort can, can get taxed. And so the program is, is, as you're saying, literally the least they can do. The other thing, though, that I think 
is really interesting and specifically in the case of Amazon, this, you have to have worked at Amazon for at least 90 days as a bare mm-hmm. minimum for this to qualify, which already eliminates tons of workers because of how high the turnover rate is at Amazon. Like that by itself makes a huge number of Amazon workers ineligible. And then exactly what you were saying, Lena, about the issues with trying to take advantage of the program at Starbucks, which is, I, it sounds like from, from reading this is from a Vice article, that, or I think, um, that like there's so many of these cases where it's so hard to qualify. And then even if you do, most people can't really take advantage of, of this sort of tuition assistance because they're working full time for one of these companies that's running them into the goddamn ground. And in a lot of cases probably is not their only job. They're probably working two jobs. If you, you know, or we're, even if you're making Amazon's incredibly generous $15 an hour minimum wage, that isn't enough for rent anywhere in the country. So it, I, I, I did appreciate that it didn't, it only, it took, I think less than 24 hours for the articles to come out explaining that the free college thing was bullshit right <laughs> after the, the initial announcement. So, so some that that's good, but yeah, it, this is definitely falls into that, that bucket of items that you see from any of these. And, and, and to a certain extent, even that protection bill, like you were saying, Lena, if these reforms aren't, you know, wrenched from these companies or from the state or from the union of the companies and the state by a mass movement, what it tends to be is basically, you know, a scrap thrown to people to try and prevent that sort of struggle from coming about. Now, that being said, I don't think this free college is really going to (laughs) fool that many people, thankfully. Um, But the other one of the other things that happened this week regarding Amazon, uh, and, and this is another small good thing for labor, although, again, yet as usual, they did not go nearly as far as they fucking should have, right. um, where we had a ruling, and this was specifically, I believe, in response to organizing at Amazon on Staten Island. And there was a, so this was from the NLRB where they're clarifying basically what workers are entitled to receive as a remedy when a company commits an unfair labor practice. And, and so I think people are relatively aware of that. It's like, if you get fired unfairly because of a violation of the NLRA, you're entitled to be rehired, even though that actual process of that may not really be realistic depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. And, but what this is particularly going about is discussing what happens when, like in the case of the Bessemer, election when a company commits unfair labor practices in the process of a union election and fucks it up and they have to rerun the election. And so what this new ruling is basically saying is that in that sort of a case where a union, where, where a company has, has tampered with the election process and it's going to have to be rerun it. The ruling now recommends that when these like regional NLRBs with the, the smaller sub boards, when they rule on what the companies will be held accountable for that in addition to just rerunning the election, what they should also do is if the company is going to have captive audience meetings to try and convince people not to join the union, requiring them to have union officials there at those meetings and given the same amount of time 
right uh, on paid shifts to address workers and paying for all of the costs of the union that it incurs as a part of rerunning that election. So obviously the correct remedy is, Oh, you tampered with the election. I guess the union wins automatically. <laughs> but yeah, when and even that being a concession to what we really want. Well, sure. Yes. But you know, hey, I, think, I mean, that, that would be better. I mean, this is yeah. good. It's it's one of those things that I'm sure is going to get watered down over time and companies are going to find a of way course. to try and circumvent. But I mean, like you said, this does represent a, 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 a fair step in the right direction for the rights of workers. Uh, I think that there should be if we have to do a second election, there should be a, a firing freeze. There should be a mandated firing yeah. freeze. Yeah, well, and there should probably also be like an assigned bias in the union's favor for the next election in the case of, you know, depending on how severe the tampering was, like for in the case of Amazon Bessemer with the with the mailbox thing for the uh, election ballots, they should probably, you know, they'd be like, okay, the union gets an automatic 15% advantage. Well, in the, and just uh, to be election. clear, this is the third election, right? Like what? The, uh, like I, I meant in the second election, the one after the cards are handed out and they're planning for it, there needs to be a firing freeze. In this case, there should be no third election, right? There, yeah. there should be no third election. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. What th- that's the thing that is so frustrating about these NLRB rulings is because, like, yeah, it's this is something that you know people who are involved in organizing should keep note of, as it's like this is something in your you know, bag of knowledge about things that if the company fucks you over, these are some remedies that exist. Right. But like the idea that you can fuck around with a, a, a election and you're even, even with this, all of your, your consequences, oh, I have to give people fair time, which they obviously should have had anyway. Right. And I have to pay for the union's costs after I fucked them over as a company, like the idea that that's a fair remedy as opposed to just being like, Oh, you cheated in the election. So you lost the election. Like that seems in court, like just clearly the obvious solution. Uh, and, but we all know why that's, (laughs) that's not being voluntarily put, put out there. That's something that honestly, I think more unions should be putting in for their demands. I mean, obviously card check is a way to get, Sort of to have a to just have the first election matter, right? Exactly. But even in places where like you hit that thirty percent that triggers the NLRB election, but not right. the fifty percent right away that would trigger under card check. Like even in that case where like something like the Pro Act, if it because inc- I think Pro Act has card check, the has card mm-hmm. check in it. Yeah, yeah, fifty um, plus one. Even even if that was passed, you would have that like middle zone where you would still have the sort of NLRB election structure that we have now, even in that case, like the, the fact that it's not pushing for just automatic recognition of the union is frustrating. And I think is something that they, that, you know, big unions should be putting on their, their planks for stuff Mm -hmm. like when they're organizing, like organizing for stuff like the pro act. Cause uh, like if you want fair, like we've talked about issues of like, different legal doctrines that can be involved with making union elections fair. But I think the idea that if you fuck with the election, you automatically lose is probably about as good as you're going to be able to get. And I don't know why, like that isn't what we're pushing for, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So to, to wrap up our Amazon news, we are seeing even more egregious working conditions and, and calls to, 
you know, at least look into them when it comes to regard in regards to pregnant workers at Amazon who, you know, I mean, assuming they want to should have as much leave as they want, uh, including uh, paternity leave. Uh, but there was a group of six senators who have called on the Equal, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to investigate charges of systemic discrimination against Amazon's pregnant workers. Because I'm guessing, uh, well, I mean, I don't actually have to guess. Uh, there have been uh, instances of uh, women being overworked to the point of miscarriages yeah. right. in these Amazon facilities. Right, yeah. And this isn't just like uh, any old uh, senator's uh, coming forward with this proposal, these are some people who have a fairly big platform, Bernie Sanders, Kirsten Gill- Gillibrand, and Elizabeth Warren, two of whom ran for president most recently. So this is the kind of thing that is going to get, hopefully, a little bit more attention than your typical labor dispute, because I think uh, the treatment of pregnant workers is something that, even for like a labor-minded person, isn't an issue that's uh, really frequently on your mind, unfortunately, and they are some of the most uh, at-risk workers. Uh, at the at the risk of sounding like a, a reformist, the the hope I suppose is that once you can take care of the conditions for pregnant workers, then you can go on and move towards trying to uh, get more guaranteed maternity and paternity leave for people who have just had kids, uh, and so on beyond that. Yeah. Right. And I, and I do actually, you know, you're right. This, the language in this article is really like pregnant women. Preg- and obviously we do mean pregnant workers, pregnant people. Right. Um, yeah. So a whole, just a whole panoply of horrible shit being done by Amazon and some, you know, chipping away around the edges that we just wanted to make sure everybody was aware of. Mm-hmm. And yeah. thankfully though, we don't just have, you know, minor reformist shit about the great uh, Bezos cult to talk about. Uh, we do have some news about the farmers movement in India to talk about this week. And a bunch of words that I am going to just apologize right now when I inevitably mispronounce yeah. them. I will yeah. attempt a lot of these, but but I apologize in advance for, for my shitty pronunciation, which I'm sure will be quite bad. But... Obviously, we've covered many times before the ongoing and in- incredibly inspirational farmers movement in India, and we haven't really talked about it a lot for a while. And so there's been some recent developments that I thought were worth checking in on, uh, specifically what's been going on in northern India. And, and, and this is referring to a, a big meeting that recently happened in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh, where they basically had like... The the Indian word for it, or the the I believe Hindi word for it is Mahapanchayat, mm-hmm. which seems I, I think they they the the translation they had in here for it was a mass congregation of of representatives from farmers and peasants groups from all around the region met uh, I believe it was like a week and a half ago two weeks ago now, and this was basically kind of bringing folks from ar- around the whole not like mostly from Uttar Pradesh but also neighboring states representatives of all the big unions, collectives, and organizations that have been representing these farmers who have been in various times throughout the year, you know, involved in in different levels of action and trying to basically re-energize the movement and really emphasize the unity, especially the class-based unity of the struggle that folks are, are pushing for because, you know, this started... 
I think what we're on eight months, nine months, almost a year yeah, at, at this point. And all in the face of COVID. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So where the, the, the farmers have been pushing for the repeal of the Modi government's neoliberal farm laws, which are essentially overall designed to basically disenfranchise the farmers, push them off their land and allow major agribusiness to consolidate monopolistic control over agriculture. Right. And so these folks, as, as, as we've talked about before, are basically, you know, fighting for literally for their livelihoods. And so this big meeting that they had was they were specifically were getting together for basically to talk about the, the problems that they've recently been facing, to go over the issues that farmers are facing that during this year's harvest, and also to basically strategize and plan their path forward for continuing and growing the protest movement. Right. Yeah, I just looked it up, and our initial episode ex- examining the strike in India was on December 11th of 2020, where we had already been talking about a movement that had been going on for six or eight months. Right. Well, and I yeah. mean, the length of this uh, might seem like it's really dragged on to you, but it seems like it has gradually picked up steam as it has kept going. Uh, I mean, this senior farmer leader, Jagjit Singh Dhaliwal, I hope I'm saying that close to correct, uh, said that the rally will see the participation of representatives of 22 states and over 300 organizations, uh, including 100 from Punjab. So that's like a very, very large amount of people. I know it's not an exact figure, but uh, I mean, you have to imagine Indian states are much more densely populated and much more filled with people who have a direct relationship to their labor than a place like the United States. So if that gives you any indication. Yeah. Also, these people are far more subject to imperialist like uh, organizations and businesses than people in the United States who generally even the workers benefit from that sort of imperialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the things that was specifically interesting about this meeting, you know, where they're coming together to talk about the different ways that the government is fucking over these farmers was specifically where they chose to hold it, which was in the city of, uh, yeah, Muzaffarnagar, I believe is, is some, something close to how you say that. But the reason that this location is interesting is that in 2013, there were huge riots in this city between the, the Hindu and Muslim populations in the city, which has been basically the, the, the main focal point of the politics of the ruling neo-fascist BJP government. Mm-hmm. That's how Modi basically made his name was, was stirring up the, you know, Hindutva philosophy and attacking Muslim populations and and these riots in 2013 in this city led to 50 deaths over 50,000 injuries. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this meeting was they, they addressed that specifically and, and wanted to come at it head on and, and say that like, that was basically, that was fucked up and we are recognizing the need for those communities to come together in the face of this oppression. And so they had a quote in here, for how long will we carry hatred against each other? It has been eight years. People of Muzaffarnagar no, don't want this city to be remembered for the 2013 riots, but the unity among farmers, Jats, and Muslims, and I believe Jats is the name for the specific Hindu population in this area. Back to the quote. Uh, we have united once again, forgetting all the riots, nightmares, and hopeful that this camaraderie will endure and help build bridges among people. And this is from a local Muslim leader in the city uh, named Jola. And he added that, Quote, 
If farmers want concrete solutions, they need to come to under one banner and defeat the current regime. And that's awesome. Like that to, to see that level of consciousness raising in a struggle like this, which Mm -hmm. has, you know, millions and millions and millions of people involved in it. Like that's a really good sign because that's the primary way that neo-fascist movements around the world, but specifically in India, that's the way that the BJP has tried to fragment the working class in India has been to really try and inflame those ethnic and religious differences amongst people and try and exploit that for their electoral success. And so to see those communities previously that had been, you know, egged on by reactionary forces coming together in the face of this neoliberal assault, like that bodes very well for the continuing prospects of this movement. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that the situations aren't like really even close to a one-to-one, but I, it's interesting how some of the tactics in here, especially solidarity, uh, overcoming ethnic and religious differences in the face of what the government is doing and the kind of like widespread protest as organization, organization as protest, all of the mutual aid and everything. It, it, it's reminiscent of the best elements of what the black Panthers were doing here in the United States. I mean, even gathering like a gigantic workers council like this, it, I was thinking like, that's kind of reminiscent of like a, an early Soviet or like a, a workers council as originally, you know, kind of theorized by the early socialists. And, um, it's just really reassuring to see that there is like a, a mass movement for this happening somewhere in the world, especially if you live in the United States and trying to think about getting like a, a workers council to convene with people from 22 different States and 300 organizations. Uh, it seems like a pipe dream if you, if you live in North America. So yeah, absolutely. I mean like this is uh doing actual organizing and bringing bringing people in. These are, these are giant groups of workers that are, you know, bringing in this representation. I mean, this is rank and file organizing towards, you know, and, and doing mobilization because, you know, uh, whether, you know, we, we know that just mobilizing is actually a highly ineffective tactic, but when you organize people to consistently mobilize and to never demobilize, you know, that's exactly what these people are fighting for. Right. Well, and you have a great example here from someone named Alam, who was a riot victim who then participated in this event showing solidarity across these lines who said the Kisan Mahapanchayat on Sunday have made both Yogi Adityanath and Narendra Modi governments realize that Hindu and Muslims are united in Muzaffarnagar. The politics of hatred by them in West Uttar Pradesh won't work again. And that's exactly the kind of sentiment that you want to see, especially from somebody who has been negatively impacted by this kind of division, because there's really only two like ways that you can come out of a situation like that, which is to either reject rightfully the, the, the false dichotomy that caused the violence or to double down on it and cause more of it. And that's what people like the Modi government are counting on you doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so they're planning on having a, a several more like mass rallies and organizing events of this type across the north of India over the next few weeks to, to re-ener- continue to re-energize the movement and, and build that cohesive plan for how they're going to continue it forward and, and rev up you know new actions to continue to push to get rid of these farm laws. So that will we'll absolutely be watching that because 
this, you know, continues to be one of the largest and, and most inspirational workers movements in the world. Mm-hmm. All right. But yeah, and, I guess on, I guess on, yeah, I guess on that note, you know, we should, we should talk a little bit about a little, some more stuff that's happening at home. Yeah, for sure. Like, so I'm sure people will have heard because primarily because of the backlash to it, that, that Joe Biden has come out and, and as part of the most progressive administration in history come out with a strong stance to defend workers during COVID and put out a federal vaccine (sighs) mandate. And now everything's Mm going to be fine. And I'm sure it's completely comprehensive and doesn't leave anybody out in the cold. That's right. Right. And then also just the ways in which people are going to be, you know, put in the position to do this. I'm sure it's not going to cause any right wing backlash and everything's going to be totally fine. (laughs) Of course not. Yeah, so the details on this, just just to run through this quickly, like because folks, I'm sure, have heard about it at this point. Basically, the White House is is now put out a emergency order requiring any company that has more than 100 workers to either verify that their employees are vaccinated or make sure that they get tested weekly for COVID. And they and they, you know, propose a penalty to fine companies. I think it's fourteen thousand dollars per violation. However, like, so on the one hand, look, vaccine mandates are, you know, generally a good thing, but it's the way that they're done that comes into a lot of problems like this, specifically the first one right away, like so many other labor protections in the U.S., has a small business exemption. The fact that, you know, it it only applies to businesses that have over a hundred employees, which means that it applies to 80 million workers, which is a lot of workers, but the U S has a hell of a lot more than 80 million workers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I looked up the the numbers uh, in 2019, it was close to 160 million uh, people. So that's, it's half. Um, I mean, like half is not that bad, but also these are not people who are going to be vaccinated. Some of these people are actually going to just be tested consistently. Right. Yes. Um, I mean, not. And again, testing. I mean, people who are vaccinated should should still be getting testing considering the breakthrough cases that are going on. Uh, But also, I mean, it's not only small businesses that are left out of this. It's also gig workers, contract workers, basically anyone who would fall under like Prop 22 guidelines or i mean really just any precarious work at all like sanitation workers or domestic workers um, yeah domestic workers people like that those are all going to be people who are generally you know some of the most front forward facing workers in the economy who are going to not be protected i mean this is not uh gonna help you know the the uber or lyft drivers no and i mean plus a lot of companies either simply don't employ hundred workers or they strategically misclassify workers as contractors to avoid employing that many workers because there's already a lot of extra steps and legal precedents you have to take as a company. Once you have X amount of lawyers, there's a bunch of checkpoints there. And so companies are already in the habit of doing misleading things to falsely right. dis- deflate the number of employees that they have at the company. Right. Like, so even if this 80 million number is accurate, I mean, we don't even like, there's not really any guarantee that those people are going to be protected. Right. Um, and, and also, I mean, I'm sure that, that 
$14,000 per violation <laughs> thing is exactly like any other uh, OSHA violation because they're going to go, you know, one year of not doing anything and they're going to be like, oh, you've racked up these yep. things. Well, you know what? That's actually a big number now. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and just knock that right back down to 14000 for all of the violations. Yeah. And OSHA, you're good to go. OSHA is like $14,000 violation. What am I issuing you a $10,000 violation for? I'm not sure you really deserve this seven. <laughs> thousand dollar violation <laughs> anyway i'm sorry i had to give you a two thousand dollar violation uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah well th- th- there's all there was only was one other thing regarding this mandate that i wanted to bring up that i did find rather frustrating which was a bunch of unions i i don't remember specifically which ones it was some of the bigger ones the the more business union type folks lodging concerns about this mandate, not because it doesn't do enough to protect workers, which would be a completely valid concern because that's true. It doesn't. Right. But because this sort of like any sort of vaccine mandate should be negotiated between the company and the union. And I'm like, well, look, I'm all for giving unions power, but this sounds to me like some Medicare for all is bad because unions fought for their healthcare contracts and they Uh would be losing. I'm like, this is the same exact shit as that. Right. Well, I think they're just trying to open the door so that like one or two of the unions that have like a much more politically conservative or regressive membership who are like, well, we don't want to get our vaccines can then make a stink on the national stage and get Fox news interviews and shit. Yeah. I'd be really, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually Teamsters with, I mean, like I just saw, I got an ad, I get ads for um, employment all the time because I always harass them in their comment section. And so Facebook <laughs> thinks I want to see all those ads. But um, one of them was this trucking company that was like, we're specifically high, like we're specifically going to keep our employment under a hundred and we're going to let you keep Ugh. your freedom of, wow. of non-vaccination. Like it was really one of, it was one of their selling points in the ad that's awful wow that is insane well that sucks <laughs> yeah so yeah, and i well, this and i know we can go on forever in fact maybe we should like do a little bit more research in this and see some of the other workers that are left aside but i wanted to to also before we get to our our you know po- more positive story at the end of this i wanted to quick refer to a, a thing that uh, we Dan and I briefly talked about in in a chat the other night about the uh, one of the NLRB people. Um, yeah, the the Joy Silk doctor, and I I think is yeah. what we're talking about here. Yeah, so yeah. this is basically because Biden is in control of the NLRB, and they finally got the person he wanted in charge of it, like coming out. So there's all been all this speculation about if they're going to try and roll back some of the most regressive things that the Trump NLRB did. And one of them is revising is reviving the joy silk doctrine, which basically puts into place really harsh penalties. If companies were to, it, it, it basically kind of theoretically does a lukewarm bureaucratic version of what we were talking about, which is basically to say, if you tamper with the election, we'll impose card check on you. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Which, but didn't end up when it was in place, didn't end up applying card check. Like it warrants a ton of unions getting voluntarily recognized. It was just that it made it more likely for the election process to be more fair than it is now, which is not to say actually fair. 
Yeah, and the reason why I wanted to bring that up, and and if we're, if you really want us to go deeper into this, like jump in the Discord because I don't really want to go too deep into it because this is the promise that the Biden administration is giving us. They're not giving us the pro act. They're giving us right. one person who might change one tiny rule that will help you know a couple unions here and there. That is that's the kind of thing that that we expect out of the Biden administration at best. And and it just kind of I just wanted to quick bring that up as as just like another example as to why we are not going to get the pro act. And even if we do get any benefits, they are going to be lukewarm at best. Yeah, I mean, we the it, it will always be a losing strategy for us to rely on the Democrats to do anything. The only time they ever do anything good is when mass struggle forces them to, which is right, to that's say right. all the role, more reason why we all have to be involved in you know various forms of struggle. And so our last story this week is, I guess it's a a little bit of a lukewarm good story because it's one of those, it's kind of like the Amazon bill where mostly what this is going to do is enforce policies that should have been enforced already. However, the actual outcome should end up helping a lot of the most vulnerable people in the the working class in this country. And so that ultimately should be a really good thing. And and What I'm referring to specifically is on Thursday, California state legislature passed the Garment Worker Protection Act, which is basically aimed at trying to get rid of loopholes that currently exist within California state law, which allow for basically there to be all of these sweatshop textile factories operating in the middle of Los Angeles mm-hmm. with a, a lot Doing of the piecework. Yeah, absolutely. With a lot of the same conditions that you like, is it a lot of this I'm going to is, is from this more perfect union video, which I just want to recommend, you know, they're one of the best follows on Twitter. They put together excellent media about this stuff. Cause they had like a six minute long video that explained this whole process. And yeah. I think it's, it's really, this really illuminates like what piecework kind of is in the modern sense. And I think that might yes. be really the thing that our listeners are going to be the, the most interested in. Like, like I think that we'll go over what the actual benefits here are, but what these garment workers are paid to do is they're paid to finish a piece of clothing and they are paid by the piece of clothing often ending up with their wages being under minimum wage. Right. And right. Uh, at least in this particular law, they are going to have to be moved to a minimum wage uh, situation. Now, I mean, imagine imagine being a garment worker where you are literally making a shirt or, or you know, this or that. And only after completing that piece, no matter like, like if you, you get like two dollars, like you made a shirt. Congratulations. Here's two dollars. We're going to sell it for ten. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, It was made to curtail, like, the fast fashion kind of things that have been going on, you know, partially throughout the world, but also literally right here in the United States. And one of the most perverse aspects of these practices has been that you'll have all these fashion brands in the U.S. that use this labor. And so that they can slap a made in America sticker on it as if that means that, see, no, no, we're not using sweatshop labor in you know south asia we're using it's made in america labor in america <laughs> yeah, right. the, yeah with the implication that oh therefore they must be paid well but no 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 they just imported the the or, or basically they they brought the same conditions that were brought by american companies to south asia to the u.s where using basically subcontracting shell companies to to contract labor for these factories they managed to evade 
um, minimum wage laws and not get charged with wage theft to the point where, as, as you were saying, Lena, like you have people in here that I believe they said the average wage was less than $6 an hour, which is already below. Yeah. That's already below the national minimum wage, which is of course a joke at seven twenty-five an hour, but that's less than half of California's minimum wage, which is $14 an hour. And again, these are people largely working in Los Angeles because that's the, the the thing they point out in here is there's over 45,000 garment workers in Los Angeles and Los Angeles, not exactly a cheap place to live. And so these people, just in order to make ends meet, because of how little they're being paid, they're having to work 12 to 15 hour days, six, seven days a week because of how shitty the fucking wages are. And you have companies like Forever 21, and I I think Fashion Nova was another one that they mentioned, buying this stuff and then putting like a label on it that says Made in America to imply to you that, no, no, this is made with with good, fair labor. While they're paying these people, I believe the video said something like three to five cents per seam. Right. Like, yeah. It's insane. I, I mean, this reminds me of of my old neoliberal boss, and I know he doesn't listen to this show because I don't think that he could handle it very long. Uh, <laughs> but at, at the old labor radio station, he was like, you know, talking about the quality of of you know Made in America and and like the union work. And then I I I'm like, all right, so we care about this, right? So we put in the effort, we make it look really nice, and we do that. And then I see him just literally like throw it, like just doing the worst job possible, totally inconsistent. <laughs> just absolutely trash looking like work and i'm just like wait a minute this is what you mean (laughs) right yeah and so in some cases like or no not in some cases on average garment workers in this sector have been losing six hundred dollars a week to wage theft so that's like below the already substandard minimum wage Mm -hmm. and they are having like Essentially, let's about like what thirty thousand dollars a year stolen out of their pocket by these contracting and then the the fashion companies, and and so to, the good part of this story is that the Garment Worker Protections Act, now that it's been passed, now expands liability from both the direct hire company to any like overarching brand using their products. So now the actual fashion companies themselves like forever 21, like fashion Nova can be held accountable legally. If their subcontractors are paying piecework, which this bill specifically prohibits, although obviously like this is the sort of thing that should have been prohibited by other laws, but people right. have been able to use legal workarounds. That's now illegal. And it explicitly authorizes their, field enforcement arm, the, the labor commission's bureau of field enforcement, which if they only could have gotten a word instead of enforcement, a synonym that began with an a instead of an E. So it could have had the BOFA yeah. as, it's, <laughs> as it's abbreviation, but you know, we need an, a, an association, not a, not an enforcement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so this whole, like learning about the obviously sweatshops are fucked anywhere, but to find out that, you know, under all of these conditions that are supposed to be these like well-paying labor protections, they're still able to get around it. That sucked, but it, thankfully this bill should hopefully be able to bring those folks back up to the already, the, the subs already substandard, but twice as much minimum wage that they should have already been getting paid. 
And so these are some of the most, you know, along with agricultural workers and domestic workers, some of the most exploited workers in the country. So while obviously we have to fight for, you know, more wins for, for everybody, like, I think this is, this can be a pretty big, big win for a pretty large group of people. And and that's a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that maybe compared to the things earlier is like, I mean, these workers are generally more precarious. These are the people that we do need to be spending more of our efforts fighting to protect. Uh, so I'm way less likely to poo poo something like (laughs) this than I am like some of the stuff from, from earlier, just because like these people are literally getting paid like six, they're, they're getting, they're getting paid fucking nothing. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing with these, the videos that I really recommend. I'll post the, the link when I post the meme review. Um, but like the videos of the conditions in there are out of anything you hear of horror stories from sweatshops anywhere in the world. Like people having to bring their own, not only their own drinking water, but their own water. If they want to wash their hands in the bathroom, right? Because it, the, the, these companies are too cheap to even pay for water for their bathroom. So the, this could result in like these people, you know, getting like their wages essentially doubled. And so that, that, that's a big win for a lot of people. And so that's good. And what else is also good and helps a lot of people is the meme review. That's right. <laughs> I love the, the second are, part. It helps a lot of people. Yeah. It helps all of you. It helps us. It helps, helps us unwind. It, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, speaking of time uh, to unwind, uh, the first meme is about uh, when you actually have some time for relaxation and it's people at a job interview and the employers are like, can you explain this gap in your resume? And the interviewees just says, uh, yeah, that was when I felt joy for the only time in my adult life. Uh, <laughs> it's true. I, I feel that so much. Yeah, for real. Time off of work is incredibly necessary and uh, there's a reason every other like uh, wealthy country in the world gives their all of their employees like mandated paid time off, uh, but right. not the United States. We don't get that or healthcare or special. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, like anyone who during the pandemic really rode that unemployment insurance and stayed at home knows what this is like. Like to uh-huh. if you were getting that that big six hundred dollars and all that, and you know, it's obviously not big enough, but like you know, if you were if you were doing that and not working, like. That might have been like, despite the fact that we were in the middle of um, the most isolating moments of of most of our adult lives uh, under the pandemic partial quarantine, um, like that was like a realization that life can be better for a lot of people. Mm hmm. Well, and and obviously, like, COVID may have disrupted this practice, at least in the near future. But I do think that one of the things that this meme kind of points out is like, the obs- the weird obsession of with not never having a gap in your resume with the idea that like oh you have a period where you weren't being continuously exploited can you please this is really fucked up and you really need to be held to account for this can you please tell us why <laughs> right yeah well and one thing i want to i want to encourage people this is something i do on a lot of different episodes encourage people to learn a new practice in relation to employment and when there is a gap like literally fill in like like name your gardening project that you built a garden why don't you just name it something that sounds official slap it on there and just say six months worked at the professional gardening center in my back fucking yard yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know 
hey, why not? It's more productive than a lot of the shit you were probably doing at your real job. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like, literally, just put put a project in there. Say I was the project manager of, you know, me and my friends getting together every work playing games. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the next <laughs> meme is uh, is job application related as well. Um. Because it's uh, it says at the top America, we have a labor shortage, and then also America, and it shows a d- job description that says required technical and professional expertise, minimum twelve plus years experience in a Kubernetes, Kubernetes, I don't know how to say that, administration and management, and then you look down at the bottom and it says Kubernetes computer application initial release two thousand fourteen. <laughs> six years ago, yeah, yeah the so thing they is, want twelve years experience in a program that's only six years old, right? Like. This is the most egregious example of this that I've seen, but this is every fucking job listing. Uh-huh. It's like every entry level job in this country requires you to have three to five years experience, which is impossible. <laughs> right. And so that's why we encourage you to lie on your application. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the official work stoppage stance. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I did bring in one. I know we said at the beginning we weren't going to uh, talk too much about this, but I do love the Animorphs oh, no. covers. Dress discourse. Love, yeah. I mean, it. I just think that the, I like it draws meme. a really great parallel out of all of them. You know, meaningless gesture, CIA applicate, <laughs> which is uh, just it's an Animorphs cover of, of AOC's tax the rich dress like morphing into uh nancy pelosi's kente cloth kneel it's the same just it it is it is exactly the same thing and and i don't i don't apologize i don't even need to give more an explanation than that (laughs) (laughs) it's the exact same kind of empty gesture just for class relations instead of like racial injustice but it's it's the exact same kind of performance of politics and it's a small but obvious feature, but I appreciate that they went with the CIA Applegate joke. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that I, I think that's pretty good quality. On it's this. really good. <laughs> yeah. But this next one is actually my favorite meme that I've been posting places <laughs> recently because it's got this really big, like almost like uh, patriotic energy with a giant eagle and some guns. It looks like it should have Punisher skulls on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just on the graphic design of it. Yeah, and and then and it's just like this full text top to bottom, and I'm just gonna read it. it. Says I am politically incorrect, which actually is the only line in this that I disagree with. Uh, <laughs> I say fuck the troops and the police. Make I make nine eleven jokes, burn the flag, and call the founding fathers rapists. If this offends you, I don't care. Fuck America, <laughs> and I love this this poster i really just want to like put it out like uh in public places put it on you know i we're gonna put it in the meme review print this off and put it on your grocery store bulletin board yeah like, <laughs> like, like oh, oh, it's or really just, good just r- in general rather than getting bogged down in the incredibly annoying and frustrating discourse that's been going around recently about quote-unquote socialist patriotism just post this meme instead yes exactly <laughs> instead yeah. of wasting your your time getting involved in that annoying argument <laughs> oh my gosh i listened to the rev left episode on patriotism i'm just like this is unnecessary yeah <laughs> like i get like <laughs> I, I i i get it and like i i was listening i was like it's almost like i was vicariously experiencing twitter through that <laughs> 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 I'm 
podcast. Yeah. Like, like this. Yes, you are right. But the fact that you had to make this episode is sad. It's very frustrating. <laughs> and it, that's the other thing about it is having to go through these same discourses over and over and over again. I'm like, I thought having everything on the internet where everything was written down would mean we wouldn't have to do this. But nope, that was a naive hope about the CIA designed internet. Um, yeah, <laughs> not a chance. Speaking of the CIA breaking into our technology, uh, the last one just says, when your boss catches you talking about class struggle and worker solidarity, and then it's a screen from a Target like self-checkout aisle that says, thanks for being patient. A team member is coming to cancel you. (laughs) I I get what that screen is saying. But it's so funny. <laughs> I just, yeah, I love the misuse of like canceling someone because like it, w- wouldn't you be canceling the function of the order? But no, yeah. no, it's it's phrased as canceling you, the consumer, and I love it. Or maybe and it's I even like the, printing slowly, and it's like your purchase or something. No, but just cancel you. The the best part though is in addition to the you know generic art person as the little picture for their like you know the team member representation is the confetti background yeah like <laughs> this is a big celebration hooray <laughs> Thanks for your patience. This is this has real big, like like really pretty four hundred four page internet vibes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess on that note, uh, join the Discord so you can see these great memes. Watch that uh, video that Dan will be posting. And thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate your help. Um, it goes a long way to helping us get this project done. And so you can actually go and become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. Five dollars gets you access to all of our, uh, you know, paywall episodes. Uh, again, if you cannot afford that, let me know. I'm happy to provide those things to you. Uh, give us a good review. Uh, give John a good review. Go on his Twitter. Just write five stars and then click post. <laughs> go on. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, go 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 on on Dan's Twitter uh, at Work Stoppage Pod and on also five stars there. Um, follow his other uh, podcast, Red Game Table. John's other podcast, Beep Beep Lettuce. Uh, I got. I know that I have one other joke in here somewhere. It's something. I I guess I'll have to save it for next time. <laughs> I guess in the meantime, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody.